retirement of Alex Ferguson, according to Jonathan Wilson in his Anatomy of Manchester United, was probably the best managerial decision any club has ever made. Ferguson was joining a club where Matt Busby and Bobby Charlton were prominent figures. Indeed, Ferguson could smell the pipe smoke and chat with Busby at the training ground. Brian Kidd, who won the European Cup alongside Charlton in Busby's 1968 United side, first looked after youth development. Two satellite centres of excellence in Belfast and County Durham operated alongside one in Glasgow. In 2011, a glossy book was produced to celebrate Ferguson's 25 years as United manager, full of action shots and player interviews with words from two Fergie loyalists, David Meek and Tom Tyrrell of the Manchester Evening News. The following recollections are taken from the book, which is one of many about Ferguson on the shelves of the Football Library. Brian McClare was once told to go to bed and not hit the Monaco casinos by Ferguson. This is only odd because McClare was not yet a United player. He has a natural authority, was McClare's comment. When he was in charge of the academy, McClare looked at character following the gaffer's inspiration. If you give Alex Ferguson everything in terms of respect, effort and performance, he will pay you back in abundance. Ferguson always remembered his players even when they had moved elsewhere. He phoned Peter Davenport, whom he once mistakenly called Nigel, early in his time at the club, the morning that Sunderland played Liverpool in the 1992 FA Cup final. Davenport had left in 1988. At his first press conference in November 1986, Ferguson said the only way we can win the European Cup is by winning the league. Well, that was true. At the ground, he felt the spirit of the place, even without the crowd, a theatre with ghosts walking about it, where they have created gods. Ah, that's me buggered then, is what Gordon Strachan said when he found out his old Aberdeen manager was his new boss. The squad weren't happy that the gaffer had left, and a new one came in with new ideas about winning and working hard. Paul McGrath was in the side which had just got Ron Atkinson the sack. They carried that form into Ferguson's first game and two days later the hairdryer came out. Alex made it clear from the outset that he would run every aspect of the club. He worked nearly 24 hours a day. Every night he seemed to be watching a game somewhere. To Paul McGrath, Ferguson was a cold, autocratic figure who was hell-bent on taking the laughter out of the dressing room, starting by implementing a dress code and short haircuts. You were being constantly monitored. He didn't quite trust you. One night on a tour to the Middle East, the players defied a curfew and Ferguson pulled the players out of the club they'd visited and made them walk all the way back to the hotel, maybe a mile and a half, at four in the morning. If the Messiah was among us, McGrath cheekily writes in his memoir Back from the Brink, he was still dressed as an ordinary man. McGrath's drinking and injury record meant that Gary Pallister came in at great expense to replace him. Ferguson and McGrath were at the time of the memoir's publication in 2006 on good terms. Just wish it happened earlier, laments McGrath. One day, Ferguson decided that he wanted all injured players to go for lunch in the restaurant at the ground to mix with supporters. Norman Whiteside was a regular and complained that all these meals were making it tough when he couldn't train. Whiteside refused to kiss and tell, turning down a £50,000 interview fee to have a go at him. Unfortunately for Graham Hogg, who told the world about the hairdryer, the FA fined him for bringing the game into disrepute. Privately, the senior players called Ferguson Taggart, or the Spitting Cobra.
It was Mark Hughes who called his dressing room bellowing the hairdryer treatment. Gordon Stracker said that anger is his petrol. Ryan Giggs, who lacked a father figure, embraced it and would argue back, once throwing an energy drink at the manager's feet after a poor half against Juventus, which prompted an immediate substitution. The minute you accept a bad performance, was the gaffer's justification, they'll do it again. After losing against Tottenham, despite Ferguson telling them what to look out for, the gaffer laid into his players, including Colin Gibson, who had a shocker against Chris Waddle. It was made worse because Ferguson had tipped Gibson for an England place and then used that against him in his criticism. When the gaffer said he wanted to find him three weeks' wages for insubordination, Gibson retorted that two weeks was the maximum. The pair almost had a fight. Allegedly, Ferguson tried to persuade Gibson to retire due to injury before offloading him in 1990. When Ferguson joined United, he writes, there was a group of supporters known as the Second Board. They would meet in the grill room and decide what they thought was wrong with Manchester United. Much was. The young kids were shocking, I couldn't stand it, and he bollocked youth coach Eric Harrison. The club only had two scouts covering Manchester. He was starting from a very low base indeed and could build a football club from the bottom up, as assistant manager Archie Knox said in the recent film, we had to make a mark. Ferguson poached Ryan Giggs, born Ryan Wilson, and later Ben Thornley from Manchester City, but helped by the lack of European football because of the Heisel ban, Ferguson could focus on fixing the dysfunctional unit of the first team. Two years on, the team's performances ranged from shocking to disgusting, according to diary entries. Three years on, Manchester City beat them 5-1. I got home and just stayed in my bed. Probably the best place to be. The youngsters were so long under my care that they felt like family to me. I would chastise them more than other players because they felt like relatives more than employers. His players would call him gaffer or boss. When Lee Sharp called him Alex, he asked, were you at school with me? In his time at United, 72 academy graduates had professional careers away from the club. One was Tom Cleverley, Thomas Cleverley, who had no physique, was wiry as hell but brave as a lion. He asked himself the capabilities and limitations of any young player if they could win me the game. Other players to get a career having left United include Ryan Shawcross, who now plays for Inter Miami, owned by David Beckham, managed at time of recording by Philip Neville, Ben Amos, Robbie Brady, Sylvan Ebanks-Blake, David Healy, two men called Lee Martin and Richie Wellens. Incredibly, there are five former United trainees who make up part of Watford's Premier League squad this year, Joshua King, the aforementioned Cleverly, Ben Foster, who did play for the first team, Craig Cathcart and Ashley Fletcher. Interestingly still, United physio Dave Fevre thinks Brian Kidd, not Ferguson, was more influential with the young players, telling Michael Crick it was Brian that made Giggsy and Skulls into superstars. Jealousy may have been the reason why Ferguson tried to blacken Kidd's role at the club. In an FA Cup replay in early 1989, Ferguson played four young players whom he dubbed Orange Juice Heroes because they were not old enough to drink. They included Lee Sharp, signed from Torquay United. This served to challenge the older players, as Ferguson said the worst thing is to lose his place to a younger man. When he did the same in a match against Port Vale, the local MP complained that the public were denied the chance to see great players. Those young lads included Nicky Butt, Paul Scholes, who scored twice, 
Gary Neville and David Beckham. In fact, because of the restrictions on foreign players before the Bosman ruling, Nicky Butt was a regular in Europe before the Premier League, often deputising for Irishman Roy Keane. Ferguson would test young players by playing back recent clips of them. He'd ask them to deconstruct what happened. He also subscribed to the working class principle, reminding players of their background and the necessity of a work ethic. There's the famous story of Ferguson yelling five and eleven, referring to Lee Sharp and Ryan Giggs, whose party Ferguson had been told about. Giggs had been fined a month's wages and he never repeated the offence. Humorously, Darren Ferguson was called by Dad on the phone just in case he'd hidden in a wardrobe at the party. Professor Damien Hughes added a disclaimer to the book flap saying that his book How to Think Like Alex Ferguson was in no way endorsed, approved or sanctioned by the manager. Amid general pearls of wisdom about winning and managing success, Hughes looks at how Ferguson's approach can contribute to it. He once chastised Robbie Brady for letting Cristiano Ronaldo take precedence in a queue at the canteen. I want you to believe you can take his place in the team. Brady didn't, though he did once score a magnificent free kick for Hull City against Watford. Outcome goals, as described by Professor Hughes, were clear from the beginning of Ferguson's United tenure. A few months after arriving at the club, Ferguson and Bobby Charlton wanted to re-sign Mark Hughes from Barcelona. Wandering around Barcelona's training facilities, they contrasted their plentiful medical team with their own man with a sponge. Thus, at Carrington, he wanted new players to marvel at their new workplace. As opposed to outcome goals, process goals were how Ferguson set a good example, which ultimately persuaded the board not to fire him after a few bad results in the early years. The gaffer once said, success doesn't happen in straight lines. Courage is to want the ball when we are getting beat and under pressure. I tell the players that the bus is moving on and it won't wait for them. Get on board or miss out. Along with youth came largesse. Martin Edwards was in fact two years younger than Ferguson, and acquiesced when he wanted reinforcements to the squad, even after finishing second to Liverpool in his first full season of 87-88. He was chastened because John Barnes offered to him for just under a million pounds went to the rivals. Ferguson spent a total of nine million pounds on Paul Ince, Mick Phelan, Danny Wallace, Gary Pallister, Neil Webb and Steve Bruce after Brian Robson pointed out that Norwich defender Bruce always seemed to get good ratings from football writers. Ferguson phased out the drinkers but left Brian Robson as captain. Roy Keane, meanwhile, came into the squad at just the right time. In Ferguson's second memoir, he compliments Edwards and Charlton for their biggest gift, the time to build a football club rather than a football team. A run of three wins in 14 games at the start of the 1988-89 season is barely remembered now. Likewise, the stat unearthed by Jonathan Wilson that in a nine-game run they had led in eight of the games they didn't win. Ditto a three-month period without a league win in 1989-90 where they only scored five times. No wonder the FA Cup tie against Nottingham Forest was so crucial to morale in a season where Ferguson's United finished 13th. 13th. That rather puts recent struggles under Ali Solskjaer into perspective. Ferguson would sometimes head up to Glasgow to avoid being barracked by angry United fans. 
George Best wanted Terry Venables to be hired. Then again, this was the same Best who had seen enough in the 99 Champions League final and missed the end. And fans were phoning Ferguson's home, telling him to go back to Scotland and worse. Even his eldest child, Mark, wanted the agony to end, believing him deluded to keep on in the job. They were 18th when they played Forrest in the FA Cup third round after Martin Edwards promised that Ferguson would not be fired if his team didn't win. Happily, they did, which means the name Mark Robbins, whose goal won it after an inside-of-the-boot assist from Mark Hughes, the assist never gets talked about, will forever be part of the Ferguson mythos. As will the tragedy of Jim Layton, brought to United from Aberdeen by his old manager after winning all those medals up there. By 1990, though, his confidence had been shattered and the three goals conceded in the FA Cup final, two of which were the goalkeeper's fault, meant that loyalty be damned, Leighton had to be dropped for the replay. He was replaced by a chirpy cockney called Les Seeley, who made a good save from a free kick. Helpfully, United won the replay and, as happened to Ferguson in 1969 at Rangers, Leighton's United career was over. He was a sacrifice that had to be made, the head that had to roll to safeguard the whole future of a new team. Seeley became first choice for 1990-91, which was the first season English clubs, apart from Liverpool, could compete again in Europe after the five-year ban. The Cup Winners' Cup 11 included Lee Sharp and Mike Phelan out wide with Brian Robson and Paul Ince behind Brian McClare and Mark Hughes up front. It came too early for young Ryan Giggs, who did make his first start that season. Humorously, the Barcelona team included Shiki Begaristen, later to lure his mate Joseph Guardiola to Manchester City, where he underwent the same sort of holistic approach which Ferguson undertook at United. Johan Cruyff, the manager whose Barcelona team were beaten in that final, told Ferguson his team would never win the European Cup, which became the Champions League. You don't cheat and you don't buy referees. Indeed, it was the referee at fault when Porto beat United in 2004, when the ref ignored a foul on young Cristiano Ronaldo and play continued up until Porto got a free kick from which they scored. Mike Phelan, who at time of recording is still at Manchester United, was taught discipline and how to conduct yourself. Ferguson supported you and treated you well as long as you produced for him with your work. Training was both intense but relaxing. Knowing him as a coach as well, Phelan says Ferguson is to be congratulated for moving with the times, ensuring lots of different ages are in the teams and also embracing sports science, nutrition and psychology, which all came in after 1986. Ferguson also warned Steve Bruce for chesting the ball down in the penalty area and risking the concession of a penalty, a skill completely at ease with modern defenders. The fact that Phelan was left out of a League Cup final but was reinstated for the European final shows how kind and thoughtful the gaffer is. Allegedly, Ferguson turned down an approach from Real Madrid in 1991. Good decision. Just like 